All right, welcome to another version of the Slide Area podcast, the podcast all things slide guitar. I'm your host, Ed Pedersen. Welcome to episode 10. And Boyd, we have a treat for you this time out. The amazing, incredible, fantabulous Johnny Highland in the flesh. I got to sit down with Mr. Highland, and though he is legally blind, let me tell you, he's playing like the world is on fire, and he's leading us to the promised land. Yes, in standard tuning, no less. Mind-boggling. He doesn't set up his guitar anything special, no special height. In fact, he uses nines. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a sight to see and behold. And I encourage you to check out the YouTube links I'm going to put in the links below the podcast and check out some of his uh, online lessons and get to see him whenever you can because it is something else. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Mr. Johnny Highland. So, so what I was saying is, as a as a kid, I was I grew up as a chicken picker in a in a you know, and I started out in bluegrass. I mean, where was like, this? This was in Maine. In Maine? Yes, I grew up in Maine, and uh, yes, I'm an old Maine boy. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I when I was two and a half years old, my aunt come bring up my dad a 1939 J45 that belonged to his father. Well, my dad never played guitar. So the old thing sat in the corner. I mean, it was beat to loving hell, man. I mean, it was. And but I don't know what it was. I gravitated toward that guitar, and I and I really wanted to play it. And this was in the standard was, tuning. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, no, actually, it was the strings. I, I don't even think they they, were, all the strings were on it. Right. But I was two and a half years old, so no one really thought I was gonna. So to be frankly honest, my dad put some new strings on the thing, and saw that I just kept going over to it as a, yeah, is that you know, okay over here? yeah, doing okay. great. Oh, and so, and so I said, well, there's a, you know, my dad's thinking, why is this kid going to this old guitar? You know, it's a, it was my dad's. It's a kind of a fairly family heirloom. I don't want, and then he's like, heck with it. I'm going to just let him play on it. So he tuned the guitar to an open E chord or what he thought was harmonically correct because my dad didn't play guitar. And so I learned to play guitar flat on my lap. Using my thumb, walking the bass line and stuff. That's how I played for years. And really? How I won, long do you think? Oh, God, till I was 10. I played that, but I was winning talent contests, and I was playing on TV by the time I was 7. Come and on. And so playing like Jeff Healy, kind of, you know. And, That's fantastic. And so I remember when I hit 10 years old, people had such, such expectations of little Johnny Highland's going to play guitar for his life, you know, or whatever. And I had told people on the on Dick Stacy's Jamboree when I was seven, the steel guitar player kept looking over my shoulder like, what's this kid playing, lap steel? What's he playing? And of course, I was just strumming guitar. And uh, and still just using your thumb? Yeah, and singing and playing chords. And and uh, so I had told everybody on Dick Stacy's Jamboree at seven years old that my dream was to play the Grand Ole Opry. Because my hero at that time started out being Elvis and then it, Believe it or not, it went from Elvis to Don Williams. Ah, but that's but a I good choice. It, oh my gosh! And and so, I man, by the time I was ten years old, um, 
I had already opened for Boxcar Willie, Lynn Anderson, um, and had met Don Williams. Um, and I started winning all these, you know, Talent America contests. My parents would put me in them. And I'd come home with a big, tall trophy off the floor, you know. And my parents were like, what the hell, you know. So my dad found a guy in the, in the, in the mill, because dad was a pipe fitter, journeyman pipe fitter welder. And he said, you know, I want to get my kids some actual lessons, you know what. And they said, this is a guy named Phil Gallup that you need to contact. And Phil was a jazz player out of Hartford, Connecticut, who moved back home to Maine because his wife and kid were there. And uh, so he taught me my first seven chords, and that's basically when the guitar became, you know, started becoming upright. Was it still tuned open, though? Nope. No, that was nope, when, that's he when he went to standard. standard and said, okay, kid, you got to learn to play correctly. How tough was that? Not bad, because uh, I, my dad bought me an ovation, so I, had, I could roll it and see it, you know, as oh, I practiced. Wow, yeah. But uh, by the time, really by the time my 10th year was over, I was playing guitar, banjo, mandolin, and fiddle in my show. And I and Phil Gallup ended up playing guitar for us, and Dad found an upright bass player named Nancy Merrill, who was a school teacher in Alexander, Maine. And they became my little my little band. So wow, man, we and went. How old were you now? I was point? I was ten. Still ten. Yeah. And so I'm, what I'm saying is, by the time I learned my first seven chords, the next weekend I was playing a show upright, regular normal guitar, like I'd played for thirty years. And Dad's like, this kid's just got he just gets, this is something God's given him. It's a musical. No kidding, right? Because really, man, being born legally blind, I have an eye disease called nystagmus, and uh, I'm, I have two of the three types, which is really rare. And so I couldn't go out and play softball or kickball with all my buddies, I, you know. So I sat in the room with a guitar for hours. How many hours. hours a day did you practice? Well, that's where the story gets interesting. Back then, I never practiced a thing. It was like God just bam, bam, bam. One instrument after the other. I played, ended up playing over 22 instruments. I played every instrument in high school band before I graduated and could play them all well. You wow. know. And uh, Dad said, this, what I want you to do, John, is I want you to be a, a school teacher. And in the summers, you can play in your bands and whatever. And on the weekends, because the teacher has the weekends off. So you'll have the weekends and the summertime to play. <laughs> and I'm like, well. Well, then it started escalating. You know, my career started growing. And by the time I was 10, we won the Talent America Showcase in New York City, where an agent out of Texas named Davina Wells wanted to sign me for commercials and small movie roles and different things like that. My parents said, absolutely not. He's not doing it. He's not doing it. And I was thoroughly just pissed because I'd worked so hard to play five-string Scruggs-style banjo, to play mandolin and fiddle and... And buddy, we had a show. I mean, we were doing top wow. 40 country stuff, bluegrass style. With and, and I'll tell you what happened, man. My sister and brother saw that I was bringing in money as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking pretty good money back then. So they wanted a part of the action. They're like, no, he ain't making all this money. And uh, <laughs> so they started clogging in the show and singing harmony with me. And we, I've got videos of all that, man. I'll share that stuff with you one day. But, uh, <laughs> but so my career started really early in life. But then, of course, the teen years hit. When I was 12 years old, I was in junior high school, and Dad noticed that I started buying cassette tapes of Ricky Skaggs and Vince Gill, and Steve Warner was big at the time. Mm-hmm. And Dad goes, and I kept telling Dad, I want an electric guitar. And what changed my life was I, when I actually finished my 10th year, when I turned 11, 
My dad took me to see Ricky Skaggs at the Bangor Auditorium, and that changed my life, man. When he jumped on that PA speaker with a purple Telecaster and played Walking in Jerusalem just like John and ripped that tally, man, I said, that's what I want. That's, that's what I'm... Bluegrass has got to go into He closet. might have been the first guy to combine the bluegrass with the electric kind of... And, man, he did it so well with a B-Bender. And, of he course, back then, we didn't know what a B-Bender was. So what did I do? My dad took me out of junior high school, took me to Northern Kingdom Music, which was the local music store, which was two hours away from my house. We looked everywhere for a telly. They didn't have anything that I liked. They were all rosewood necks, and they were made in Japan at the time. Dad's like, no, I want my kid to have a USA guitar. So my first electric ended up being a Strat, a USA Strat. And I was barked because I wanted a tally. But Dana Flood, the owner of the music store who happened to, that my dad actually met and knew, said, well, kid, look at it this way. Steve Warner plays a Strat sometimes. Vince Gill plays a Strat sometimes. Yeah, sure. But then you got Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton. Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck. <clears throat> you know, all these. And I was like, ooh, okay. So then I started liking it. I was like, oh. To this day, Ed, I still have that Strat. You're kidding me. The, all of the lacquer was off the fretboard. That's how much I practiced. Okay, so now we're getting into the practice. Right. Okay. So, so you get the Strat. So I get the Strat. When, yeah. My dad bought me a, a, a 87 charcoal gray, ugly USA Strat, maple neck, a PV212 stereo chorus, and a wah pedal and a distortion pedal. That's what nice. I had. So that's pretty good. And I was like, man, I'm on top of the world. So, dude, it was eight, nine, ten hours a day I was playing. I remember my dad, my brother and I shared a room. We had bunk beds. My dad would come in at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd be under my blankets on the top bunk with my Strat and a flashlight, running scales, running scales, running scales. But my dad had heard of a guy named Bill Pierce, who was a GIT graduate living in Maine, and Bill and I are still really good friends. I took eight lessons from him on a chalkboard, all about music theory, what you know, what scales to play, what are pentatonics, what are modes, what are, you know, yeah. how to use them, how to... And he said, but kid, I don't know anything about chicken picking. He goes, I'm a classical fusionist. He was an Ingve guy. Right. You know. And, uh, <laughs> but my dad at the time saw that I was practicing like a, like a fiend, you know, like I had had this new, uh, something that I knew was just totally focused on where my life was going to go. Um, and that's how I dedicated myself with that little strat, you know. And uh, it's so funny because he said, "Man, you haven't, you, you know, kid, you got to get onto the Outlaws, Leonard, you know, Skinner, uh, the Almond Brothers." Dad goes, "Man, you need a slide." And I was like, "I don't play a slide, Dad. I'm working hard on scales and stuff." I, you know, he's like, "Kid," and he and I'll never forget. It, he brought me home an Outlaws Greatest Hits <laughs> album. Hurry Sundown and Green Grass and High Tides. And man. And then he brought me home all my brother's greatest hits with Statesboro Blues. And I, when I heard Statesboro, I went, that's it. That's what I want. I, I got to do this. So he gets me a Dunlop slide, one of the old chrome slides, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. I still have that, too. Yeah, those are cool. And man, for hours, I'd say, you know. Yeah, but again, you were doing it. This is what's so interesting to me. So... You started playing the first five years of guitar yep. on an open-tuned guitar. Flat on my lap. Right. Yep. Then, 
your dad gets you a strap and some pedals, and you're practicing eight hours a day mm-hmm. in standard tuning, mm-hmm. and then you go to play slide in standard tuning, even though you started. But you, you got to understand, though, um, it was out of sheer ignorance. Nobody said to me, kid, turn to an open G. Turn to an open A. So when I heard those records, I learned to play slide, playing copy in the records. Yeah, but wasn't tuning. it hard to play some of the parts that like Dwayne was doing when you were in standard? And he, I mean, I guess it's not that different from open E to regular standard E. You know, it's oh, a it, piece, it is. It's, it, but it's different enough that you're going to be chasing certain things on some of the strings. I was. Know? I was. Okay. But then Leroy Parnell came out. In the, in the country music round, 1991. <clears throat> By that time, I'd already been playing three or four years. And then I'm like, wow, a country guy comes along and plays slide. Ooh, cool. You in know, a very soulful road, way, too. You know, yeah. and I'm like, that slide tone, I'm like, oh, my God. So one of the things that I really did, I went through all my teen years playing in bands up home. You know, we had a, a band called Standing Room Only. That we played, we were a three-piece band. Played every weekend. I was still making good money, uh, but then you know, Little Texas came out with that song, uh, "God Bless Texas." Yeah. Country like coming out of a slide. I'm like, oh, I got to do that. So the Almond Brothers things went away, and the country music side of the slide came out. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, and then I'm using it in the band. And I don't have time to switch guitars. By then, I knew about an open G, whatever. Sure. But I'm like, I don't have time to switch guitars. We're a three-piece. I do everything. Rhythm, you know, harmony, vocals, everything. All right, let me ask you this, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> I agree with you about the country slide period, and I call it a period because it kind of sort of went away, you know, like during Leroy's day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the early 90s, which is when I got the bug. Yep. And that's when I got signed. You know, we were all trying to do that because we thought we thought that it was super cool that you were combining country and roots with soul. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now you're playing in open in standard tuning. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any finger muting on the strings that you're not playing? Yes, I had to. Right. I had to. I didn't have a choice with that. Now, how hard was that to kind of get that technique down? Because I played banjo, real easy. Really? Yeah, it, gra- it, it just, it was gravitational. It just happened. And it's on the same guitar you play everything else. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So it's not set up higher, Mm-mm. right? And you're just using your big heart slide on everything, right? The, the well, see, back then it was, the, it was still the chrome. It was still the chrome? Dunlop, yeah. How, and how long did you use that for? Oh, God, till I moved to Nashville. Until right. 1996, yeah. And that's so, when you found the porcelain stuff and everything? Well, my first manager, I'd played with Don Kelly at Roberts West. Right, Rover. right, right. And, you know, even with Don, we'd play some, you know, some blue stuff so I could play slide. And what was really funny is the slide kind of went away for a while because Johnny Highland was developing the, the name in Nashville as the chicken picker, you know, right. go-to guy. Different from Brent, had my own sound, my own mm-hmm. identity. Uh, Which is cool that you're all different. But really. then I, but then I, I started doing my own shows. So I left Don's band, started doing Johnny Highland shows, formed my own band, and did my first album with Steve Vai's label. 
And I noticed that in my songs on the record, I was playing slide just as background, you know, textural chord, chord, yeah, textural things and chord movement, <clears throat> stuff like that. But I wasn't really playing full slide solos. And I'm going, eh, whatever. You know, I didn't care at the time, but I was like, but I'll never, I'll never forget it, man. One of the first shows I did, I, uh, we were, I started doing Mercury Blues as a blues tune. Yeah. So anyway, I said, well, man, I can't play this as a blues tune without pulling out a slide. So unbeknownst to the band, unrehearsed, anything, I pull out a slide and I just make the band come down dynamically and I just start, I just start playing slide. The crowd just went up. It was like crazy. Instant standing O and I went, oh my God, I got to do this more. You know, so so so. So it's become a part of my show ever since. It's it's just part of me now. And it's always in standard. Yes. And it's always now you use a porcelain slide. Yes. I met Luther at a uh, at a Nam show, and I I kept telling my my first manager Mac Wilson. I said, my slide the the, the Dunlop is too light. It's too I can't. It's like I need something a little more, and I really wish it would round on the top. <laughs> And Max, my actually my first manager knew Luther, and he goes, "Well, if we're going around the Nam show, we'll see if my buddy Luther's there. He makes slides." I'm like, okay. here? Yep. Yeah, we're doing great. Oh, no, man, I'm doing no, great. I'm actually, Jody, I might need a box. Okay, do you yeah. want me to get that out of your way, or are you still working on it? I'll still like I'll. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, we're nibbling. I guess I'll look, I'll look at it every once in a while. <laughs> but I, you know, to be honest with you, man, I when I first met Luther and I saw that. I mean, I didn't. I never played a porcelain slide, but I told Luther. I said, "I'm having trouble with my Dunlop chrome slide getting sustained." I said, "I went from glass to chrome," and I said, "I'm still not happy." I, and I wish a slide would round. And he goes, "Oh, then just the thing." The only slide he had on the table at the Nam show was this black one with fire flames on it. And I'm thinking, "Oh boy," you know, because I'm like, I'm just a plain Jane kind of country boy. I don't care about fire. No, flames. but it's cool, right? But you know, it's funny. It stuck with me. It's been a slide that's been in my pocket ever since. And it's so enjoyable to play. And the sustain and the, the tone were just unmatched. And I said, now I'm really enjoying playing slide. I dig it. And so then I started experimenting with playing chicken picking, but with an open G tuning. The first song on my first record I ever did was called G Wiz. No slide on it, but it's open G tuning. Weird. And I was doing open string legs and stuff and having fun. Oh, you know, something you mentioned before I want to touch on. Sure. So, you said that you like Sonny. We were talking about Sonny. Oh, yes. And But you're playing behind the slide, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, listen. You guys are pissing me off. How do you do this? Did this come natural to you as well? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it was out of due necessity. Right, you know? right, right. Which, which is understandable when you're playing a show. A I mean, lot of my playing, man, came from happenstance. Trying to either fix a mistake or, oh no, and you grab your fingers and it lands on something good. And you go, oh, i got to use that again. Okay, know. but let me ask you something. Uh-huh. Okay, so after studying, like, like we were talking before, I studied Sunny close up and, and I kind of sort of get it, but... Are you lifting the slide at all when you're playing behind it? Or it's totally no. feel and technique? And totally feel. You're just, but you've got the sensitivity. So I, I just want to be clear to people who read this later. Mm-hmm. 
you're, you're keeping that bar flat on that string at the fret. Yep. And you're still through, Using the fingers b- through, beyond. through basic feel and dexterity and touch mm-hmm. getting that those chords behind it. Yes. Wow. But I'm not the best at it. I just, like I said... It's I, hard, right? I have a few things that I like to do with it, but not really. Right. To me, the slide itself is... I'll just say this, Ed. I'm I'm a very emotional. I, the guitar was my best friend growing up, so I'm still I still play using my emotions. Right. Uh, I played the best blues in my life when I lost my parents. I mean, the slide was like it took on a whole new life yeah. because I was feeling the blues that I was playing. Oh, there's nothing like and that. I, I, I did the same thing. Yeah. And man, you then you then you feel that and you experience that. And even when you get happy, you want that again because that feeling was just so uh, growly and it was there and it was great. I think it changed not only my playing ever since mm-hmm. losing both of my parents, but it's it changed my songwriting. Oh, everything, everything, because it puts you. You know, you can't explain it, but it puts you in a place. I mean, all of a sudden you're an orphan. Yes. And and so that that's but but that's like physical in a way. Well, no, you want to hear a story? You check this out. Mm. So I've been in Nashville ten years. I, I meet the love of my life, my wife Kimmy. One month before our marriage, we were married. Her grandmother died, who helped raise her, right. which was devastating for her. Then one month after my wedding. My dad died in a boat accident with my uncle Jimmy. Whoa! So the last time I saw my mom and dad together was at my <laughs> wedding. That was crazy. Crazy. And then my mom, at 50 years old, dies a year and a half later from what they say was congestive heart failure. But she missed my dad. The doctor, had a the doctor heart. said, "Yeah, she died of a broken heart, buddy. There's no. Yeah, yeah. She didn't have to die from what she had medically." No. So he says it's died. hard though, man, when they're together that long. Well, they were together thirty years at that point, and I would, I would be, I would feel the same way, you know. Yeah, it was, it was devastating, man. I, but you're right, you feel all alone. And but here's this high, here's this high though that I'm on from meeting the love of my life, buying a home, having a little dog, just everything I always wanted as a kid. Yeah. And it was that point where I really said, "Bam! I'm established in Nashville. I'm going to be here. I love it here." <clears throat> I've always loved Nashville since I was a kid. Yeah. But when I got married and bought my own home here, I said, well, I'm here. This is my. This is it. Brother, my career goes exponentially bigger. Great. But if it doesn't, I'm still a Nashvillian. Yeah. You know? And so it was this basis of establishment. And then Kimmy had my heart on such a high for being completed. And then, wham, lose my dad in hey, one month. But, but, like, but, oh. but, but now, like, that's an interesting dichotomy. So you... you you had the highest high with the love and of your life month, and everything. And one month, wham! I mean, just slammed it. You got you got more range out of it, didn't you? Holy moly, brother! Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And but my slide playing got better. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, because it's crying. Yeah. It's vo- it's vocal, right? And, and that's why it, you respond to and it. And it's so weird, man, because I was playing the Tulsa Blues Fest with Eric Johnson and Eric Sardinas, another yeah. great slide player. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him play. I. You know, my sister flew down to the show with her boyfriend. My sister's now a doctor. And we, my dad and Uncle Jimmy, dad called me. I was supposed to be home fishing with my dad on that trip. And I said, Dad, I got a chance to open for Eric Johnson. I got to go. I got to do this. And, oh, yeah, whatever. Oh, you're going to miss out. Well, he called me on the phone and said, dude, the white perch are biting up here so bad. Uncle Jimmy and I are going tomorrow. And I was like, oh, 
So they're really good. He said, dude, we were nailing 50-some fish in a half an hour. It was crazy. He said, three lines going at one time. He said, we were having a blast. And uh, he said, that's good eating, boy. You're missing out, you know. And my dad was such a disciplinarian and a stern son of a gun, man, when we were young, that he and I finally started this really great relationship. Mm. And I was I was actually praying, going, God, help my dad and I get closer, you know. Mm. And uh, and then, bam, the next yeah. night, you know, my sister sees me after the show. Eric Johnson literally ran off the stage and said, I don't know how the hell I'm going to follow you, which was one of the biggest compliments in the world because I love Eric. And uh, He is something. And so... I was on five. I was just on, on cloud nine. Eric Johnson ran off the stage to give me a compliment, and we got to play together someday. And since then, we've you know we've been friends. And but I the uh, no, I'll continue this story and I'll get off this dying subject. Uh, later on that night, I took my sister and her boyfriend to dinner, and we were going to fly home to Nashville the next morning, you know, because we had studio sessions and other things to do. So. My mom calls and says, your father's not home yet, and it's dark. I'm worried, and it's raining so bad the wind's blowing sideways. Well, long story short, 5.30 in the morning, I get the call from my aunt. They found your dad's body. He's dead. He died of hypothermia at 57 years old. And my dad would do, never smoked, never drank, bodybuilder, a big, big man, big traps, big delts and biceps and tries. I'm just a big dude. And from not smoking his whole life, Basically, he lived 8 to 12 minutes when he hit that water. And it was like, oh, my God. You because know? most people wouldn't. <clears throat> yeah. and, and so I'm literally freaking. Because I, here I am, 30 years old, never thought I would lose my dad that soon in life. Yeah, yeah. Because we always, we always teased each other, you know. That old bastard's going to live to be 120 and drive us all crazy throughout our whole life. And then we lose him. And it was just like a shock. And... I'll never forget this moment, man, because I was sitting downstairs. My manager said, look, get a shower, get dressed, come down and eat breakfast with me. Don't sit here and dwell on this. You know, let's, let's get you. We got to get ready to go. Just time on task, buddy. Focus on what's needed and then fly home. Right. Uh, I went down to breakfast. And this gentleman says to my manager, because I'm like sitting like this. I just can't believe what's going on. And he said, uh, hey, I got a taxi picking me up soon, man. Can I, can I join you guys for a moment? And Max like, yeah, sit down, sure, man. Now this guy, don't know this guy from Adam. <laughs> he sits down and he goes, uh, hey, Johnny, I heard about your dad, man. He goes, uh, I'm really, really sorry to hear that, brother. And I'm going, how the hell did you hear about my dad? Nobody knows about this. How the hell did word get around? And I'm thinking, how do you know this? And he goes, just so that you know, man, he said, my, oh, my taxi's here, and he stands up, and he said, I love to hear you play, man. He said, I'm a big fan. He goes, and he said, I'm, my heart is sorry for you. He said, and as a dear, dear friend who I lost once said, you know, today the sky is crying. It was Chris Layton from Stevie Ray Vaughan's band. No way. But I couldn't believe it. It freaked me out. So, and it was so amazing that he knew of my dad's death. Nobody, my manager didn't have time to spread it all over the hotel. Hmm. I mean, when it happened, when we found out it was 5.30 in the morning, so, long story short, man, I just, we went home and, but that, I, I'll never forget the first show after Dad died. It was, man, the slide just took a life of its own. It mm. started more sustained, more growth, more girth to the tone, more more vibrato and yeah. more just grit, <clears throat> gritty, gritty. I mean, 
it was the first time with a slide that I've had where I looked down at the guitar like, I'm not even playing this. It's playing mm -hmm. itself. Interesting. And the tone is just so embodied and huge, and I'm going, that ain't me. I don't yeah, know how yeah, that's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. And so I've strived for that tone on slide ever since. Because now, now, did you change anything? Like, our, uh, what, what what gauge strings are you using? Nines. So, nines? Nines. Holy Christmas, are you kidding me? Nines. And, well, um, uh, well, and are you playing through any pedals or anything? Yes. Okay. And in fact, um, uh, I, well, I'll have to explain that when we get to the house. Okay. Because my rig is neat. It's, it's different now. See, I went through a lot of transitions with amplifier companies because yeah. I was with PV and then I was with, uh, I, st I did a Johnny Highland signature amp with, uh, oh, I'm sorry, after PV I went to Bolt, mm -hmm. Bolt Amps. They went out of business. And then I went with CEC and actually made a Johnny Highland signature amp. That company lasted a year and a half. And so I just kept going through <laughs> amplifiers like left and right. And I'm going, I can't keep my tone. I can't find my tone. Sure. I don't. And then, of course, I, you know, the whole third manager thing I, after three bad managers dude I was just disgruntled with the business right. I had to learn how to love to play guitar again sure so I started playing honky tonk gigs around Nashville again because Kimmy my wife actually grabbed me and said honey you gotta play for the reason you started to play because you love it and she said I don't care what it takes but find that love again and she said I just want you to take a gig that you're gonna enjoy and love it don't care about the money she said, you know, granted, we're, I mean, we're not wealthy people by no means. And she said, I don't care about if you make 30 bucks, I, whatever. Go find your love for guitar again. I said, okay. So I started playing a gig downtown with Doug Jernigan and, you know, real Mike Oldham, real total country band. Yeah, yeah. Playing old Ray Price stuff. <clears throat> but we would do, you know, Clyde played electric bass. And I'd start using the slide, but like a steel player. So then again, this new form of slide playing hit where I was emulating a steel guitar and trying to get more of that versus the Allman Brothers feel and the you know Sonny Lander thing and the whole you know and I was trying to take slide to a different plateau so to speak where it became mine you know like okay Johnny Highland has his own style of slide I don't think I've ever reached that point yet but at the same but time but a lot of people think that 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 you know you're so identifiable when they hear it well, so that's good I gotta say, man, it's that's the most beautiful, wonderful thing about guitar, and that is such the blessing from God above that we can all have our own identity. Whether it's whether people think it's great, fantastic, or you think it's better, bettering you as a person because right. you're adding that. Uh, there's such a there's such a self-satisfying pleasure that that hits. And even though I've tried to put the slide up for a while, it always comes back out, man, yeah. whether I want it to or not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a part of That's my life. That's fascinating. You know. So um, with all the things that I've been through, man, it's, you know, people would say, well, why is your career not bigger? Well, I've had, I've been mismanaged over time, and I've, I've made... It's a very tricky, people don't uh, understand how tricky that part of the business is. Yeah. Well, and, the, and then unfortunately, even the people that manage you or that are the closest to you... Uh, affect your career because of things that they don't want to do themselves like for an example I, I'm not going to name names here but I had a I, you know say for an example someone has an alcohol problem right. and they've been over it for a long time recovering but they don't want their artist to play in a nightclub because they don't want to have to be there yeah, they don't yeah. want to put themselves in this so my touring 
didn't really happen as my career started because a booking agent, you know, Vi or my management management at the time or nobody really teamed me up with a booking agent. So now here I'm, you know, 41 years old with five records out and I'm just now starting to try to tour. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. But that's how my life's happened. It's a, it's a, it's a very delicate thing and yeah. uh, I've tried to explain this a million times to people and... People who are not people in the business know, yeah. But people who aren't in the business don't realize <clears throat> that we can't do everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. We never could, but even more so now because, for instance, right? <clears throat> we all have to have presence on social media, if for no other reason than to preserve your trademark. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but but a lot of us do participate and try to interact with the fans and whatever. Well, that's another demand on our time that yep. didn't exist 20 years ago. Right. And so, again, it's even more important than ever that we don't get, like, what we say in Norwegian is tokafoshta. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah. Ro- royal bullshitters. <laughs> right, right, you know? right. Because, and it's not that they don't mean well. Mm-hmm. Right, you know this. Mm-hmm. Some people actually mean well. They they don't get involved with you because they don't like you. You know, they they see something they believe in, but executing is a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. And we have to. It's it, that that's the the toughest part about this business to me. It it's not the playing. It's like BB King used to say: they don't pay me to play; they pay me to travel. Right. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> but well, yeah, you know. What yeah, I mean? you're absolutely right about that. You know. You know, most people have said, oh, Johnny Highland doesn't tour because he's legally blind. No. No, that has nothing to do no, with it. No, it has nothing to do with it, you know. Because you can get around great, man. And and anybody who's ever seen you play knows, you know, that you got it going on and you are you got your stuff together. You know what I mean? Well, I appreciate that, brother. But I still think I'm... I think there's such a thing, man, as really finding who you are. Yeah. And what I mean by that is when I first moved to Nashville... <clears throat> I was so gung. I want to be a session player. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a master class clinician. I want to be this. I want to be that. I wanted every aspect of this guitar realm I could get into. But then over time, you start to realize that's taking too much of my time. Yeah. And it's not bringing me any. It's not bringing me anything in for my wife to pay the light bill. So why am I focusing too much of my time on that and not enough on this? Right. And so you start to weed things out. And. Unfortunately, there's people that go along with that yeah. that start to dislike you because you've moved out of this realm when they thought you nailed it or you were making someone else some money, you know, or whatever. So then you start this tug-of-war game with your time, with your energies, with yeah. your focus. Yeah. And it's like my guitar playing. People, you know, people always used to say to me, kid, you know, when I first moved to town, kid, I can't wait to hear you when you're 40. And I was like pissed off because I was like, come on, I'm in the woodshed every day, man. I'm... I'm slinging, you know, I'm playing faster yeah, than anybody Yeah, but it's all down. that pain and joy that you've had That's that, that you were but saying But now earlier. that I'm 41 years old, yeah. I realize now, I can actually say to you today, I've learned how to appreciate a note. Yeah. I would much rather hear, wow, on a slide with some nice vibrato <laughs> than hear someone go, you know, yeah, yeah. play 1,800 notes. Because when we're kids, that's the first thing we want to do. We want to fly. And when, we, when I say we want to fly, we just fill up every bar with as many notes as you can and just rip it. And over time, the appreciation for a note becomes so much bigger and and uh, 
more important, crucial, yeah. you know, almost has yeah. a, a cruciality to it. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a beautiful thing to find that. Now, when I hear B.B. King, it's like that one note he hits just sings your soul. <clears throat> you he, feel his soul, but it sings your soul at the same he, time. He always got it, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sonny's the same way. Sonny's a, <clears throat> man, when amazing. I was younger, I couldn't even listen to a ballad. I didn't want to hear ballads. I wanted to hear, you know, I just wanted to hear notes. Nowadays, man, it's like put me on a slow blues piece, man, and let Sonny just tear ass on that slide. He is unbelievable. And it could be one note, wow, and the way he's getting that, wow. And the harmonic and the on that note oh, is just how the dude, hell does it he makes do your it? skin crawl, <clears throat> but in a very. I can't very wait good to way. ask him how many hours he put in. My God, that. because the technique is just off the charts. But you know, I found the cool thing about slide too is. You can reach for the realm of Sonny or Derek or, you know, or you can be a guy like me who goes, you know, man, I'm experienced as a chicken picker. I've been here 20 years, you know, this August. Played on a lot of sessions. You know, Toby Keith won a Grammy with Ricky Skaggs, did all these things. Uh, Trick Pony, Randy Travis, Janie Frick, you know, all these people have played on their records. For me nowadays... It's like, oh man, when you got this beautiful track, and it could be a good clipping along country song, but you put this one little slide lick in the back that's recurring over and over, and it just makes the track. And then you're like, oh damn, I'm glad because I did that. Because there's nothing like that sound, right. and there's nothing like that texture that exists if, if anywhere you, else. And you know what? Even one chord of a slide. You can have a country song that's right, and in the back you hear that slide just resonating in the back with that with that tone and that resonance and that, and that voicing, vibrato man. and that voicing it's yeah. like my god dude it's it's I guess what it is man is you learn how to appreciate even the small nuances of slide just as much as you do the Sonny Landreth pieces absolutely and, the, and, and it's good to have your own voice and your own identity Every, yeah. I love listening honestly I can listen to any slide player, you know, oh, and yeah. I can appreciate their what they're song. doing. Yeah, they're all different. Yep. I mean, I really don't hear anybody that sounds like Ry Cooter. I don't hear anybody that sounds like you. I don't hear anybody that sounds like Sonny exactly. You well, know what I mean? And I'm not going to lie, man. There's a time where I thought, I'm not good enough as a slide player to feel validated. Play it all the time. Yeah. When you hear a guy like Sonny Landreth do what he does, you go, oh, I can't, I can't do that. It's I can't, impossible. I can't touch that. But there is an individuality <clears throat> with slide. And I just look at it this way now. If I can make one person in my audience happy by pulling it out and playing it, then I've done my job. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And i got to be honest, man. My wife and I have been married almost 11 years. It's her favorite thing that I do. No kidding. In fact, I want to share a video with you. Just very short. But it's me in a nightclub, and we were playing a blues tune, and I I just... But the leader of the band knows that Kimmy loves when I play slide, so he goes, play your, play your wife some slide, Johnny. And the band comes down dynamically, and I just roar it. And, I'm, and I just walk right over to her, and I'm just okay. ripping it. You want some more tea? Uh, maybe a touch, please. Okay. But otherwise, we're good. Yeah. Actually, awesome Jody, thing. I think I'm good too. I'm. All right, I'll get that out of your way. 
you're Thank you. You want to take that home, or are you good with it? No, no, no I'm you good. You got egg roll. Come on, John. You can eat the egg I'll roll. I'll eat the egg roll, sure. I was going to say. You can eat that. You love the egg roll. I do love the I egg roll. I saved it for him. I said, Thank uh, you. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> they were good. Oh, they're wonderful. Yeah. And this is going to tear me up tomorrow. I know yeah. it is. Well, I don't care. What are you going to do? Hey, it's a session. Nobody's going to see me doing that. Yeah, yeah. Go hide in the corner. That's right. Can I have the sheet in the corner? Yeah, too? yeah. Yeah. No, I just kind of like the light and, over and here. I want the cubby hole with the door. Yeah, yeah. I so got my own can door. Smell me. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, I think it's because my wife loves it as much as she does. It's another reason for me to continue to do it. So the more I've been married to my wife, the better, the better slide player I've become mm. because she loves it. Of course. And so, yes, do people feed off their spouses? Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's a, it's a beautiful oh, thing. Oh, it's awesome. It's <laughs> one of the most amazing things that God grants you as a married man, you know? Yeah, man. So. You're not kidding. Thank you, Johnny, for uh, spending some time with me and allowing me to uh, ask you my silly questions and putting up with me. We had a lovely lunch together here in lovely downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And it was uh, extremely enriching. I learned a lot. I hope you all learned a lot. And will join me next time for episode 11. Who will it be? I don't know. I've got a treasure trove backlog of people we need to get to. Could it be Fleetwood Mac's Jeremy Spencer? Could be. Could it be Danny Flowers? Maybe. Could it be Doug Cox? Could it be VM or Salil Bot? Could be. Could be. But I'm going to leave that as a surprise because we've also got some uh, other people that we are interviewing consistently. And um, I'm going to mix it up. Going to mix it up. Try to get some more pedal steel, some more lap steel people, some people from all over the world whenever possible. So... Thanks again for listening to episode 10. Please come back for episode 11 of The Slide Area. And I'm your host again, Ed Pedersen. Take care. See you next time.